Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Mormons, the Twin Sisters edition with your hosts, Ariane Smith and Tiffany Hales. It is May. We're here for our monthly contribution. <laughs> Do you realize it was um, six years ago when we first started podcasting for Twim? It was May. It was May. It was May. This is our anniversary. Because this is so <laughs> our anniversary. Although when we first started six years ago, we did it early in May. And I think our first episode was only like 20 minutes because we had no idea what we were doing. We were just submitting it to Jeff to see if like, you know, he'd even consider us. I have. I don't know if I've ever gone back and listened to it, and I think I it would, would probably be, be frightening to listen to that. <laughs> to listen to it, but I do remember because I think one of the things we talked about because it was the month of May, and we talk about this repeatedly every year in the month of May. It's a tradition. Mother's Day. Mother's Day. We have we, to start off. We have lots of thoughts. We have to start off talking about Mother's Day. Yes. Okay. So here's my thought on Mother's Day this okay. year. Okay. Um, my ward did what it's done. Since COVID times, which is a lovely cookie this year from Twisted Sugar. I am on board, 100%. Love the cookie. Give me the cookie. Okay, not, not so a plant, not was lotion. It like, was it like a sugar cookie? Uh, you could choose sugar chocolate chip in your own little box on your, oh, way, on your way out of church. Nice. But I, this is the funny thing about my ward. You know how we um, forgot it was Easter? Yes. And we tried to sing Pioneer Hymns. <laughs> And we didn't have Easter talks. Well, you tried to sing praise <laughs> to the man. Yes. That's not a pioneer hymn. <laughs> That's a pre-pioneer. It's anyway. a pre-pioneer hymn. So I think they maybe overcompensated for Mother's Day. Oh, um, really? Because we sang, of course, like Love at Home and Teach Me to Walk in the Light. Uh-huh. We had two speakers whose talks were all on mothers. And of course, we had the primary children scene. Yes. But then I went to Release Society. I'm in primary, but they they sent us who would like to go to Release Society for Mother's Day. And in Release Society, our lesson was nothing to do with mothers. It was all about like the Savior and following him and comparing like Moroni 7 to um, one of President Nelson's recent talks. It was very, very good. Such a good lesson. And at the end of the lesson, I realized I have cracked the code on Mother's Day I figured out how to solve all of our church problems on Mother's Day. Oh, I could I I I am I am waiting with bated breath here. You didn't post this on the Facebook no, page because I did it. I for those of you who are interested, on Mother's Day, I posted a picture of what my ward did and asked people on Facebook to engage and tell me what their words did for Mother's Day. So okay. tell me how you have cracked I've the code. cracked the code. Okay. If we could follow this formula, I believe it would solve. Mm, 90% of our Mother's Day issues at church. Okay. <laughs> it would prevent people from walking on landmines. I'm all for preventing landmines so, on Mother's Day. Here's what you keep. You keep the kids singing, the primary kids singing. Okay. Because every mom wants to see that. And, and and everybody wants to see that because yes. let's face it, they're entertaining. Any day the kids sing is a good day. Exactly. <laughs> Doesn't matter what holiday, what they're singing, it's a good day. Exactly. Keep the kids singing. Keep the treat, whatever your treat is. Yeah. If it's, you know, if you're a sugar lover like us, hopefully you're getting a cookie or something delicious. I know that's not for everyone, but I hope you're not getting a plant or lotion. No kidding. So keep the kids singing. Okay. Keep the treat. Everything else needs to be like a normal meeting. No Mother's Day themed hymns. Okay. No Mother's Day themed talks, no Mother's Day themed lessons. You carry about your business as usual. Have a mission farewell, sure, but don't let them talk about their mom 
or don't tell them to talk about their mom. Tell, give them a topic that is not mother related. Have, oh. have a mission for a while. Have a high council come speak, not on mothers. Have whoever you want to speak, youth speakers, anybody, whoever normally would speak, have them speak, not on mothers. Okay, don't this, you think that would solve like majority of our issues? Well, it certainly would because you, you know, we had we had a a a a variety of Mother's Day talks. We had a youth talk, a sister had to talk on Mother's Day, and then uh, one of our uh, new um, counselors in the bishopric spoke on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Here's what was really interesting, which I noted, and I'm probably going to get in trouble with everybody in my ward who listens oh. to this. So the teenager who spoke did a really good job of being all inclusive. Mm -hmm. The mom who spoke did a really good job being all inclusive. The counselor who spoke really focused on traditional mom. Mm -hmm. And which again, I think that's where you have the potential to run into landmines Mm -hmm. where people don't fit the box of traditional mom. And so, yes, I, I do kind of have to agree with you that, you know, doing a small acknowledgement, but not making a huge deal. Right. And, and I think moms are okay with I that. I think moms are okay with that. And the other thing too, that I liked that you told me that they did is you got a Sunday off. You didn't have to go teach primary. Right. You got to go into Relief Society. You had a lesson that was mm-hmm. all about the Savior in Relief Society. Mm-hmm. So you got to be spiritually filled right. in Relief Society without any landmines of uh, mom guilt. Yes. So I think this needs to be the model going forward. I think okay. I think moms would be on board as long okay. as they hear their kids sing. Exactly. And they get a little treat. That's all we need. We don't need the talks exactly. to be about us. Well... <laughs> We, exactly. And you know what? I think that makes a lot of sense. Just as long as your ward gets back on board with Easter and quits having mission farewells on Easter. Now Easter. And actually talks about the Savior on Easter. Easter, let's go all in. Mother's Day, let's just rein it back a little. Okay. Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. Well, my ward did what we've done. This is the second year in a row that we've done Mm this. And admittedly, the... We the Relief Society had a coup last year from and and took over Mother's Day from the ward. I think this is hilarious because we were like, um, we would like our sisters to have what they want, not what the men think we need. <laughs> so yes, it is a lot of work for the Relief Society presidency, but my sisters all felt loved. So mm-hmm. what we ended up doing, and this is in all likelihood probably my last Mother's Day, I will have been in the Relief Society presidency three years come January. Mm-hmm. So I, I suspect that this will be my last year doing Mother's Day. And I have no idea what the, you know, if they'll if they'll continue this tradition next year. But because we had lunch at, or because we had church at noon, we did a little boxed lunch. And so inside the box lunch, we had a chicken salad sandwich on a croissant. We had a chocolate dipped strawberry and we had a cookie and then we had bottles of water. And so all of the women, the men took over all the auxiliaries. All of the women went into the gym we had a very short video message uh, that on mothers, well, not on mothers, it was actually on women in general and the value of women in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, was a video message that included Camilla Kimball and statements by Camilla Kimball and then statements by President Nelson. Mm-hmm. And then we sat around and visited 
Oh, that's always fun. And that I was, like that. that and was I know really not everybody nice. likes that, but I like yeah. to visit. But also I'm in primary, so I don't get to visit very exactly. often. So. Exactly. And that's what we mm-hmm. felt our sisters wanted is just the opportunity to visit. And we did make them get up and switch groups and circles because we set up six circles and we made them twice get up and switch groups and circles so that then they were forced to interact with other people. So that's what we did. It was lovely. You know, it was interesting in reading through the Facebook comments, Mm -hmm. uh, lots of like chocolates, cookies, things like that. Um, so it, it sounds like, you know, most, most moms got, got a little bit of love mm-hmm. thrown at them on Mother's Day and, uh, nothing too, nothing, nothing too outrageous. At least nobody in the Facebook comments was like, yeah, I was completely offended at church right. today. <laughs> well, we'll have to report back in June on what our awards do for fathers. Yes. Well, I already know what my award is going to do because again, the release is like, charge. Charge. Fun. <laughs> but that's Okay. <laughs> The men seem to be far less picky about what happens on Father's Day than the women are about what happens on Mother's Day. Yes, they are. And if there are talks about dad in sacrament meeting, half the dads probably won't even hear them. (laughs) They might be snoozing. (laughs) Sorry, was that rude? I I was totally fine. I mean, we had a dad that was always snoozing in church. Even when he was on the stand. Honestly, now in... I, I, I struggle. Yeah. It's, I get like, if it's warm, it's a little sleepy. Yeah. I'm exhausted. It's, it's easy. I, I, I get it. So, <laughs> all right. Well, anything else or should we, or should we head on into our Let's stories? Let's get into some stories. Okay. The first thing we have to talk is the people on Instagram would like to hear your take Oh yes. on the Vallow trial. I know it wrapped up last week, so they briefly hit on it in last week's episode. They did. But I have to say, the gentleman who covered last week's episode clearly did not follow this trial very carefully because there was a whole lot they got wrong. <laughs> but that's okay. I won't hold that against them because I knew we were recording this week and I would set the record straight. So one of the things that they kept talking about is they kept mm-hmm. saying, oh, her beliefs were so different than mainstream church, which is, yes. which is really true. But the thing is, is they were so interwoven right. and you did not understand how interwoven they were unless you were following the evidence of the trial. Well, I think the thing that shocked me the most about the trial, I mean, other than the horrific yeah. the deaths. Yeah. The one thing that really shocked me that came out in the trial was that she was going to the temple up until I was like, seriously, I had no idea before this trial started, I just assumed had died. I just assumed that they were a fringe group doing their own thing that had kind of separated. But in the trial, it came out. Oh, no, they were half in, half out. They had their fringe group, but they were also going to the temple, like our actual temple. Yeah. Yeah. Like she and Chad together. At the temple. At the Rexburg Temple. It's well, just it mind Well, it wasn't only Rexburg. There were several other temples that they hit. Oh, and, mind-blowing. And they had, they must have subpoenaed the church, uh, the church in some form mm-hmm. because they knew the dates and times that Lori and Chad had gone to the temple and the temples that they had gone to. And literally within less than a few minutes of Lori scanning her recommend Chad is scanning his. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was all sorts of crazy. So yes, the verdict was a week ago today, which I'm thinking back and I'm like, wow, a week ago, it seems like it was Mm -hmm. much longer than that, but it really was only a week ago. She was found guilty on all six counts. So she was charged with 
two counts of grand theft for stealing the social security money of Tylee and stealing the social security money of JJ. She was charged with conspiracy and grand theft in the death of Tylee and conspiracy and grand theft in the death of Tylee or, or JJ. She was charged with conspiracy for murder with Tammy and then first degree murder for Tylee and JJ. So all six counts she was found guilty on. Mm. I, I have to say, as I listened to the evidence in this trial, and I followed this very carefully. We've talked in the past. Nate Eaton, I listened to his show every night. I kind of have been going through Nate Eaton withdrawals this week because <laughs> I listened to him for four weeks solid. I'm like, what do I listen to now? Anyway, um, so as I'm following this evidence, I was fairly convinced that she was going to be found guilty of the grand theft. I was very convinced that she was likely to be found guilty of the conspiracy. I just wasn't sure on the first degree murder charges, what the jurors would do on that. Is um, that why they're separate charges? Cause I mean, it kind of sounds the yeah. same, right? Conspiracy to commit yeah. murder and first degree murder. It's, all, it's kind of the same thing, but they separate them out. There, so there are different elements of each crime. Uh -huh. And so the prosecution has to prove the elements of each crime beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh -huh. And so the elements to prove conspiracy are a lot less than the elements to prove actual first degree murder. Uh -huh. So I, and that's why I was like, up until about the last day of the trial, uh -huh. I was just like, oh, I don't know if they're going to, you know, if they're going to get their first degree murder or not. Uh -huh. But what the prosecutors did that was really, really, really smart is they saved this FBI agent. His name was Doug Hart. And they saved him as one of their final witnesses. And he really brought it home. Because what he did is his specialty was going through all of these text messages that Chad mm -hmm. and Lori and Alex were, you know, flying back and forth between them. And he was able to go through those text messages kind of in a chronological order. And they, of course, cherry picked and pulled out the good mm -hmm. ones. And when you looked at them and heard his testimony in a chronological order, you were like, oh, this is so very, very clear that this was well orchestrated mm -hmm. and well planned by, by both of them. And it really just was a great witness to kind of wrap it up and bring it home. So after he testified, I was like, yeah, I think she's going to be found guilty on 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 everything so i do have a few thoughts both on the trial itself and on the closing argument mm -hmm. so one of the things that came out in the trial that i just found hilarious was um there was a nickname for chad's manliness no <laughs> His, the nickname for his manliness was The Storm. So that is insane. They, they, he, he sends this text message to Lori that says, grab me by the storm and I will follow you to the end of the universe. Ew. And then they ask the witness, what is he referencing with the storm? And the witness was very, very less graphic than I'm going to be on this podcast and explained what it was. And apparently then there was an audible gasp in the courtroom. Oh no. <laughs> but here's the best part. The attorneys in their closing arguments referenced the storm. And I was like, Oh no, they didn't. And I was like, Oh yes, they did. <laughs> so, so in closing arguments, the prosecutor goes first, Rob Hall, he, or Rob Wood, excuse me. 
He does not say anything about the storm in his initial closing argument. Uh-huh. Then Archibald, who is her defense attorney, gets up. And um, before I go on to say what he says about the storm, I, I need to do a little sidebar here and talk about um, something that happened during his closing argument. Several times during his closing argument, he references Chad's books and he calls them Chad's stupid little books. And he says that several times. This, her attorney does. Her attorney okay. does. Mm-hmm. This really upset her. Like mm-hmm. she is kind of almost nearly emotionless during this trial, but you call her husband's books stupid and she was mad. Okay, that's interesting because didn't the attorneys kind of like try to separate them? Like, yeah, yeah. In fact, he tried to, he tried to, the, his, her he tried to make it closing look like, argument tried to make it look like this was all orchestrated by Chad and she was just following but, Chad. But clearly she's, she still got a thing for Chad. She clearly still has a thing for Chad because she was, she did not want her attorney throwing Chad under the bus and mm-hmm. she did not like her attorney calling Chad's, calling his books stupid little books. Wow. So that's my sidebar on that, mm-hmm. that I found that that was very interesting how emotional she became about that when there's all sorts of other testimony that was very graphic that she right. did not get nearly as emotional, emotional at. So here's what Chad's attorney says about the storm or what Lori's attorney says about the storm in his closing argument. He said he, he is referencing Chad is being led by the storm. Not the first guy to be led by the storm. Oh, he's really talking about he's the really storm. talking about the storm. He's like, well, we've already established that this is a word. So I'm just going to use this so that exactly. I don't have to get too graphic in court. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And then he goes on to make another statement that I don't think was referencing the in-court reference to the storm. He said, if there's anything we've learned about a storm, you have to hide from a storm. You seek shelter from a storm. I don't really understand how he was kind of tying that into his closing argument. But then he was just trying to throw that word in as much as he could throw that word in as much as possible. So then the prosecutor gets up because the prosecutor gets to have the last say. And what does the prosecutor do? Oh, he goes back to the storm and he requotes Chad's text about the storm. Wow. (laughs) It was, I'm just like, people, the Hollywood writers are on strike. Why don't you go like write for Hollywood? Because you're doing very well. Any weirder. It really can't. Well, and now another year from now and the circus starts again. The circus starts again. trial, right? Although I have some predictions. Um, First of all, Lori will be sentenced probably in about three months. Mm -hmm. And so that's coming up. Also, one of the jurors has spoken to the media and that juror chose my favorite reporter, Nate Eaton. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to know what that juror says, because this is only on eastidahonews.com where you can find this. And so if Mm -hmm. you go to eastidahonews.com, if you go to their YouTube channel, there is a 37 minute interview that Nate Eaton did with this juror. And it was so fascinating to listen to. Mm-hmm. So, There's another juror that spoke to KTBB, our local. Yes. I didn't watch that one yet. She was actually an alternate. She, oh, she didn't was alternate. actually okay. sit on so the jury. She, she had was, to sit through the whole thing. She had to sit through the whole thing. I am unaware of any other jurors that have mm-hmm. spoken to the media. Um, uh, at least nobody has spoken to the nationals like mm-hmm. CBS, ABC, those, maybe some of the court TV shows they have, but I kind of, I kind of doubt it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, if you're interested in what the juror had to say, it's an excellent interview and, oh yes. And my prediction for mm-hmm. Chad, 
Um, I am predicting that come January, February of 2024, that Chad is going to strike a deal with the prosecutors. I don't think we will have a second trial. I think the prosecutors will take death penalty off the table to avoid having to redo this, mm-hmm. this circus another time here in Ada County because they brought in 60 witnesses. And so they had to pay mm-hmm. many of those witnesses traveled from out of state. They had to pay for their travel. They had to pay for their law. Lodging. They had to pay expenses. I mean, this was not a yeah. cheap process. And so I think that the prosecutors will take death penalty off the table. He will concede to life in prison. He will plead guilty. And I think we will not have hmm. another trial. At, at least that's my prediction now. We'll see if that rings true mm-hmm. in a few months. I kind of hope you're right. I hope so too. I would not like to live through this happening again in our courthouse. No, except it would mean more Nate Eaton for me. (laughs) You know, I'm a fan girl, Nate. Well, (laughs) don't worry. He's in East Idaho. Crazy things happen there all the time. I'm sure he'll be back. (laughs) Exactly. No, I just, I think that his coverage of this trial was just outstanding. And I like to see the local news people just really stepping up to the plate and doing a great job and being just on par with anybody on the national level. So, okay. Uh, Next big thing we have to talk about this week is the 60 minutes episode that featured the church finances. You know, what's funny. I think a couple weeks ago when Matt and Melissa podcasted, Mm -hmm. they were talking about a separate church finance article that was like a couple weeks ago. And I remember them saying, this is not going away anytime soon. <laughs> Boy, were they right. Because here we are again. <laughs> I know. And and I mean, when I heard that the interview was coming, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I didn't, I mean, it made such a big splash the first time around when the church got fined that I didn't think it would, it would have these quote unquote legs, which they, that's what in the media business, they talk about a story that is kind of snowballing mm-hmm. as it has legs. And I thought, we've already done this. And it, we, yeah. it, it still has lots of legs. I don't understand. So, it's still anyway. going. So this Continue was interesting. On. So I watched the 60 Minutes. It's like maybe like a 15-minute segment. Yeah, it's not a long segment. Minutes. And it was not what I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be focused on the SEC and the fines mm-hmm. that the church paid earlier this year for having secret hidden funds of money. Yes. <laughs> um, but it was not. I mean, that was the teeniest, tiniest bit of it. This was the whistleblower um, that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, his last name is Nielsen. Now I can't remember. His, oh, David Nielsen. David. Um, this is the whistleblower. He used to work for the firm. Enzyme Peak. Enzyme Peak. And yes. he came out a couple years ago and turned over like info to the IRS because he didn't feel the church was up and up on a lot of things. So they actually interviewed him. So this was the first time he's been like interviewed on TV. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of what made it a big deal. I don't think... Um, after watching it, I was like, well, that wasn't really anything like new, new. not like new information. Like what? He said, what? It was all things that he'd already said that we'd already um, heard about. Not that that doesn't mean that they're important, Um, but it was uh, really interesting. I, after watching it, like I said, it was like a 15 minute segment. I watched it last weekend. I really didn't think it would go far. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it just really picked up this there week. There were tons of articles and on it this knowing week. Knowing that we were going to have to podcast this week, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had to read like six articles on I this. Know. <laughs> because they, there were just so many discussions 
And perspectives. And perspectives. And it was actually really good for me to read all the articles because I I grabbed little tidbits from all of them. Okay. So tell Um, me what your highlights are. Okay. So first article will hit Deseret News. They, of course, had an opinion piece um, after basically just saying, this is not a big deal. We all do this. Yeah. The church is fine. They can, because one of, there were kind of three things he talked about in the 60 minute segment. Uh, the first thing he talked about was um, just how wealthy the church is. Yes. $150 billion, We've heard that number the past couple of years thrown around. And he just, uh, this whistleblower just didn't feel right about to have that much billion versus what mm-hmm. is actually being spent on charity per year. He just felt really a lot of turmoil about that. And um, another thing that came up was the church has a life insurance Yes, arm, beneficial, beneficial life. Beneficial life. And during the financial crisis in they, 2008, yes, they the, had to prop it up. There was a bailout um, yes. from Enzyme Peak to that. And so he didn't feel like that was all on the up and up because that's a like a for commercial company yeah. being built up. Anyway, so there was that. And then the SEC thing was mentioned briefly. And then they also had um, Bishop Waddell on there of, you know, church. who did a really good job denying. Yeah. <laughs> No, well, not denying. He didn't deny sidestepping. Yeah. He sidestepped. He sidestepped. <laughs> I will say he didn't come off as good as he could have, but it wasn't awful. He, I, I, I think, I think the church PR people prepped him well for questions and how to sidestep. He didn't seem caught off guard by any of the questions that he seemed to have a really good uh, kind of, response. but, but I, I think, I feel like there were a few where he did. It did. I. I thought the opposite. I thought there were. Oh, really? I, I thought there were a couple questions. Okay. Where it felt like an awkward sidestep. Okay. Like, okay. Fair enough. I don't know. I don't know. It's all in perception, right? Anyway, so Deseret News, of course, came out uh, in their opinion piece, full force, like this is not a big deal. Blah blah blah. And then the Tribune, of course, came out in their opinion piece, uh, Jenna Reese, This is a big deal. <laughs> And here's why it's a big deal. Blah, blah, blah. And then um, what else did we have? Oh, the church released a statement. They released their own statement. They released their own statement. After a couple of days of articles. Yes. They're like, oh, now we got to say something. People are paying attention. So they released a statement saying they believe in being financially responsible and, you know, using these tithes to fulfill divine purposes. Blah, blah, blah. So then we have Sam Brunson with By Common Consent, yes. who I really genuinely typically like his, yes. his articles. Um, he said kind of the same, not a lot of new info. Um, he talked a little bit about the bailout, um, but, you know, acknowledged that, yeah, these are legit concerns. Mm-hmm. Like, And then I really liked there was another blog that Twim posted up on their mm-hmm. Facebook this week. It's I had never heard of it before. It's called Thoughts from a Tamed Cynic. And mm. the author was Nate Omen. And um, he really kind of dived into And this was the question I had after watching okay. it. My husband and I had this exact conversation after we watched it. Because I've worked for a nonprofit before. I realize it is very normal to invest your money. Yes. Um, your charitable donations. You have an endowment fund. You, mm-hmm. have, you invest some so it can grow. And you and, spend some for your purposes. because yeah, you've got to have some in savings. Yeah. Um, every nonprofit does that. 
Um, Shouldn't we all be doing that in our personal <laughs> finance? But the, the question was, um, well, how much do normal, how much does your average nonprofit spend of that, right? Ah, like, okay. how much is normal to save and spend? Not that like, I mean, it's the church. It can do what it wants. I mean, this is not, yeah. this is all optional, right? But you are a church. So there are expectations. Yeah. People have expectations for their money. Um, so this guy, Nate Oman, broke it down, I thought, a really good way to like wrap my head around it because okay. all these numbers have been thrown out this week. And I loved how he wrote this because he acknowledged, like, I'm going to break this down, but let's acknowledge here that all of these numbers are speculation. Like, yeah. And part of that is because the problem with this is we don't have solid numbers because the church hasn't been super transparent on this. Very so true. I'm going to break this down the best I can, but there are issues because we don't have good info. So, and this came up on 60 Minutes. They say 70, 7 billion every year. We take in 7 billion from okay. tithing. Um, this guy, Nate Oman said, that based on every, all the articles and everything he's been able to gather over the past mm-hmm. few years, we probably spend $6 billion a year on maintaining the church, maintaining the temples, and humanitarian aid. Mm-hmm. So part of that is directly for church members. Yeah. And part of that is outside of the yeah. church. We're giving to not members. Yeah. We're trying to make the world better. And then $1 billion goes into savings. Okay. So of that $7 billion, $6 billion gets spent. Mm-hmm. $1 billion goes into savings every year. Just a billion. <laughs> Like it's real money. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, but this was interesting. He broke it down um, and he looked at like most universities endowment funds or, Uh um, you know, big charitable foundation endowment funds. Most of them are taking about four to five percent, spending about four four to five percent per year. Um, And if you do that, it's generally thought you can maintain uh yes your reserves your, your reserves and your endowment fund and you can spend 4 to 5% a year well he did this math on if there's 150 billion and we're spending 6 billion a year that's about 4%. Now I think we're missing a billion there cuz 1 billion is going into yeah. anyway. Yeah. But he also acknowledged like this is kind of simplified yeah. it's a lot more complicated than that in the real world. Yeah, there's different funds and there's different things. Anyway, but it was interesting but the thing I love the most is he was like but we don't have good numbers. And this was my takeaway after reading all of these okay. articles. Okay. There's one more thing that is interesting to look at that we'll put in the notes. Okay. There is a website called um, Visual Capitalist. Okay. Is the name of the website. My husband saw this somewhere and it was just a super interesting infographic. Visual Capitalist. And they have an infographic up there on the biggest endowments okay. um, in the world. Oh. And so um the church is the biggest. Oh. At 150 billion and then you go down from there in like the 70 mm-hmm. 80 billion range is like Stanford, Harvard. Oh. Um and then it so it breaks it down uh and yeah. it goes down from there and you can see this little infographic with who has the biggest endowment funds and some of them most of them are universities. Yeah. Uh some are like the Getty Foundation uh-huh. which runs the museum yeah. and and then there are like a couple government type things from other countries mm-hmm. um, and a couple other churches. The only other churches that were on there were Church of England. 
Ah, the I, Queen's Church. Yes, I believe the Catholic Church was on there. And then there was some uh, other, I didn't recognize it. It looked like a fund for Chris, some type of Christian. Oh, and Anyway, it was really interesting graphic. But here is my takeaway. Okay. After reading all these articles and being just surrounded by this for a week, <laughs> is I really think that it would be so great if we could just get more info from the church. Because yeah. I think where they're running into a problem with the media, because a lot of people are like, oh, the media is just like, you know, so biased. And yeah. the media is just like being so mean to them yeah. just because they're the church and everybody's obsessed with their finances because they're it's the church. picking on us. Well, here's the thing. I feel like if they were more open and they weren't like making secret accounts uh-huh. to hide money, yeah. um, if they just laid it out all on the table and didn't care what people thought there would be nothing to see. I feel like this is like when a celebrity has a Mm -hmm. baby and they don't want the tabloids to get paid for taking a picture of the The baby. The tabloids become even more obsessed with the baby. (laughs) Yes. So what they do is they take their own picture of the baby and they spread it to the world. Exactly. (laughs) And then nobody makes money off their baby. I feel like if the church would just be like, here it is, you guys, this is how much we have. This is how much we're spending every year. And if you don't like it, we don't care. I think they just need to own it. I think there is some legitimacy in that. You know, the the only thing that I think mm-hmm. of, at least from a legal standpoint, is again, you know, as a lawyer, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, uh, would this invite more lawsuits for people to say, oh, you're a wealthy church. We're going to, you know, think of a billion different right. ways to sue you. But that cat's probably that out of the bag. That has sailed because we're on the top of that <laughs> infographic. <Exactly. laughs> And we are on the top by a very wide margin. By a large margin. So, yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? If they're worried about the members um, not paying tithing or the members Mm -hmm. being like disillusioned Mm -hmm. with what they're doing with the money, then like let just deal with the consequence, right? Either change what you're doing with the money or be like, well... If they're not going to be faithful, they're not going to be faithful. Like, True. Like, like they do with you know any, what, anything right. else where it's our choice, right. let, what we're going to do. Let the coins fall and yeah. like maybe have a little bit of trust that like there are plenty of members that have no issues with yeah, this. It's very true. And there are many that do. And yeah. they're going to have to grapple with that, which is like not unusual for many church topics. Very true. So, and the media already hates you. So why are we trying to like pan to the media? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, why are we trying to make them write good things about us? They're not going to say anything no. good no matter what. So no. just own it and be like, who cares? We're a church. We can do what we want. Okay. <laughs> or if you're ashamed of it, then maybe take a look at it and say, what could we do that's better? What could we do with this money? Should yeah. we, should we spend more? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know either. All right. Should we move on to something else? Yes, we should. <laughs> I'm tired of reading about church financials. Well, you know, we talked, I can't remember if it was last month or the month before that, um, BYU Provo got a new president or at least their new president was taking yes. over July 1st. Well, not to be outdone, BYU-Idaho was like, well, if BYU Provo gets a new president, we get a new president. They must be on the same schedule. I, I don't know. Or they're like, mm-hmm. hmm, we'll see your president and raise you one. So their president, who has been uh, Henry J. Iring, uh, he is being replaced as of August 1st. And they made the announcement just this week. And he is being replaced with a gentleman by the name of Elder 
Alvin F. Meredith III, who quite honestly, I'd never even heard of. So um, there is an article. It was, um, I believe it was in the, uh, I can't remember if it was in the Deseret News or if it was in the Church News. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, our President Irene had actually only met the soon-to-be President Meredith on one occasion. President Meredith had shown up to um, help President Irene reorganize a stake in Rexburg. And it was recently. And it was recently. And so um, anyway, so on Tuesday, May 16th, Elder D. Todd Christofferson showed up at BYU-Idaho and said, guess what? Come August 18th, you're getting a new president. Mm -hmm. So um, Elder Meredith actually has not been a general authority for very long. He was sustained on April 3rd, 2021 as a general authority 70. So he's he's, only had a couple of years. He's only had a couple of years and he's actually. He looks young. Well, he is. is He He was born in 1970. So that makes him like in his early 50s. Mm -hmm. And so his background is. First of all, he grew up in Tennessee. He served a full-time mission in the Utah Salt Lake City Mission, which I think that's kind of hilarious. Um, He got a bachelor's degree in psychology from BYU, and then he got a master's of business administration in 2001 from the University of Chicago. So he's only been out of school 20 years. He hasn't been out of school that long. Anyway, he and his wife have six kids. Three of them are adults. Uh, Three of them are still at home. And... um, uh, their youngest is a 13 year old and what he did for employment, he was a senior executive of a global technology firm. Hmm. It did not say which one. Um, he also served as a mission president. And so I am kind of guessing he got his education. He got out, he made a bunch of money, paid off the loans, paid off the loans, and then got this call to be a mission president was a mission president for a while and then got called to be the president of uh, BYU-Idaho. Okay. So he doesn't have this background in academia academia mm-hmm. like the new president of BYU-Provo does, because if you recall, he's a statistics professor at BYU. Right. So um, so this will be interesting. This will be very interesting. Also, will he, will he bring in the caffeine? <laughs> Do we and still not have caffeine they, in Rexburg? I don't think – I think they still don't have caffeine there. And – Will he allow shorts? That's true. I know they have a different dress code in I feel. I feel like this could be the guy. Come on. Maybe. Let's do it. We'll have to see. Because I have daughters who for reals are like, oh, I won't go there. You can't wear shorts. Like that is the deciding factor on them being like, nope, won't go there. Okay. I'm sorry. I have to say I respect that. (laughs) I mean, I can't blame them. I can't blame him either. I, you know, if, if I if I were facing that similar choice, I'd be like, mm, yeah, peace out. Not going there. I'll do pathways online where I can wear what I want. <laughs> anyway, okay. So we have some temple news. Uh, we finally have a date for the rededication of the St. George, Utah Temple. So they're going to have an open house starting September 15th and running through November 11th. So almost a good two months. Almost a good solid two months. Um, And then it will be dedicated December 10th of this year. So that's exciting. Other temple news, um, the Helena Montana Temple. Which is, I think, almost done, isn't it? Yeah, it's done because their open house, I think it's getting dedicated in June which means it's open house might be now, but there is a whole article on um, LDS living about mm-hmm. this temple. Um, something unique about this temple 
is, um, oh, the open house is going now through June 3rd. Okay. But something unique about this temple is this is the first modular temple Which to I be had built. no idea they were doing modular Me temples. Me neither. So this is... So explain the modular temple. It's like a Lego set. <laughs> this is a Lego temple. <laughs> That's how I'm thinking of it anyways. So they build these walls in... Um, a factory in Alabama okay. that specializes in modular stuff. Okay. Um, so this says, So they send their design plans to Alabama yes, and send say, the design plans. give me a wall. They made 25 prefab pieces in okay. Alabama, wrapped them up tight, shipped them to Montana, and then put them together. And then, of course, um, this was interesting because they quoted, they said, the challenge will be making the exterior and the interior architectural design equal in quality to the non-modular ones, oh. right? You don't want this to look like a manufactured home version exactly. of a temple. Um, so, but they said it can be achieved, but it takes attention to architectural details. So then they have to go in and like uh-huh. finish it and make it look unique. Do some finished and, carpentry on so the this, inside. This was an experiment, it sounds like, but they're experimenting with this because they said um, some of the reasons they're experimenting with this is just the volume of temples. Mm-hmm. Like they're just saying we can't spend, you know, six or seven years getting a temple built Yeah, if we're going to keep up with President Nelson. <laughs> well, you're <laughs> not wrong about that. Obviously a cost thing. So they tried it out on this one. Um, I don't know if the article didn't say if there are plans to use this on other well, ones. And I think the Helena one, isn't that a pretty small temple that they were doing? It's 10,000 square feet. Yeah, that's so a yeah, pretty it's small a temple. One. And there's mm-hmm. a bunch of those smaller ones. For example, I think the Burley one we're getting is pretty small. And there's one in, I think, Elko, Nevada that's slated to be pretty small. Yeah, so, so that's maybe kind of what try yeah, these with I think the that's what they're, smaller I think temples. that's what they're looking at it for, the smaller ones. So yeah. um, I will. it'll be interesting to see how many they use it on. Exactly. I mean, Clearly it worked. It's it's opening next month. Exactly. <laughs> so. And and I wonder if they're going to start manufacturing other ones or they're going to uh-huh. be like, well, let's see how this works. Let's see in a couple of years whether we're still right. happy with this. Yeah, if they're going to let it sit for yeah. a while. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Okay, so then we got a statement this week on President Nelson's health. He showed up with a walker. Um, showed up with a walker, which you can't do that in this church <laughs> without people noticing. If someone comes to conference and they sit in a chair, have a cane or a walker, it is like, I'll already talk. So he released a statement, a personal statement. He said, you may have heard a rumor that someone saw me somewhere using a walker or a wheelchair. Well, it is not a rumor. He said, from time to time, I'm having a little challenge with my balance. I guess I shouldn't be surprised when little issues arise as I near the century mark. I mean, and then he's he said, 98. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is normal. Um, then he said, little challenges with balance should be the least of our worries. Onward and upward. Typical That's President Nelson fashion. President Nelson. <laughs> so. Well, and again, let's go ode to transparency here. Yes. Since we have been talking about transparency is rather than just let this simmer with people going, hey, I saw him, he had a walker. I mm. saw him, he had a walker. He's like, hey, look, I got a walker. Here's right. a picture of me with my walker. Here's where I got the walker. Now quit talking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So next story. This is another Jana Reese. We got two Jana Reese's this month. We have the one on 60 Minutes. And then this is one she did um, spotlighting the Mormon moment of 10 years ago. So you may remember where we were at a little over 10 years ago. Mitt Romney was running for president. Book of Mormon musical was a hit on Broadway. And then the infamous I'm a Mormon campaign, which is 
Wow. Seemingly a little dated now that since we're no like longer a, Mormons. That seems a long, like a long time ago. I, I know. A lot has happened in 10 years. A lot has happened in 10 years. So two people that were quite vocal 10 years ago uh, were Joanna Brooks, and she wrote a book entitled Book of Mormon Girl. And... Um, she had a regular column that she that she wrote that was published on the internet and she had kind of a lot to say about the mormon moment and a lot of media would come to her um she never said hey i'm an authorized spokesman for the church she's never said that she's just like i'm just a member i grew up i i i i have questioned my leaders, mm-hmm. but I still believe sort of a thing. And she, she was getting a lot of press 10 years right. ago, but lots of like feminists, like- lots of feminist stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Mitch Maine, who was uh, an LGBTQ ally, and he was getting a lot of press 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So Jana Reese interviewed both of them to say kind of a, where are you now? Sort mm-hmm. of a thing, because we really haven't heard from either one of them in, in a really long I know. time. When I saw this article, I was like, Oh my gosh, I forgot about, Joanna Brooks. I want to know where she is now. Exactly. So um, anyway, so she she talks in the article a little bit about um, some of her favorite moments Mm -hmm. from that time in the spotlight and um, how um, she was trying to help the media understand this religion that to some in the media was kind of a little unintelligible. And um, since that time, she has kind of stepped back and, and she said, you know, it was, it was never my intent to be the voice. Mm -hmm. It was my intent to raise awareness and help other people learn how to be a voice as well so that we could collectively join our, our voices. And um, she also talks about um, her, her uh, blog that she had. And she said, the church sent out a survey to thousands of members trying to gauge how many people were reading my column in religion dispatches. The internet was so new. They assumed if something was published online, it must have enormous reach because she does talk about how uh, she became aware that higher ups, uh, general authorities were aware of her and had referenced her in various kind of church meetings and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, then they go on to ask her, uh, and Mitch Maine as well about what we lovingly call the leadership lottery. Oh, this is the, exactly what I wanted to know. When I read the headline, I was like, Ooh, yes, did they get in trouble? So she said at the time that all of this was going mm-hmm. on 10 years ago, that she had a really good Bishop, uh, and he just really didn't let anything ruffle mm-hmm. him. Um, but she said a few years later, she had a Bishop that she felt like took out some resentment on her 12 year old daughter. Her 12-year-old daughter had gone in for a Temple Recommend interview. Joanna was in there with her. The bishop had asked the question about, you know, do you associate with any groups opposed to the church? And the 12-year-old daughter said no. And according to Joanna, the bishop said, well, that's not true because your dad is Jewish. And we all know the Jews are opposed to the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. Yikes. Well, that didn't go over so well. And uh, Joanna says her her daughter explained to him, no, they're not opposed. And uh, she said, you know, her daughter knows how to understand God in two languages. And she had talked about this before in the past, that they were raising their kids, both Mormon and Jewish, and kind of letting them decide, you know, where they wanted to go. She has subsequently kind of stepped back from the church. She says, I don't attend. She's still a member. Uh, She still believes. She said, my faith continues. And she's trying to find new ways to express um, her love and gratitude for
gratitude for the amazing experience of being a Mormon. Um, but um, she's she's just kind of not active in the way that she was before. Um, Mitch Main, he had actually served in, as an executive secretary in a bishopric, and he actually has stepped back as well. He, as an openly gay person. As an openly what, gay person. One of the first, I think, that we ever heard about. Exactly. Like. Exactly. And he's kind of subsequently stepped back as well. He now has a a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and that he is in love with. And so that probably kind of makes it very challenging to be, to be active. Um, But it was just, it was an interesting follow-up piece on both of them. And I appreciated kind of knowing where they are today Mm -hmm. and what they're doing. And uh, especially because like I said, they got a lot of press Mm -hmm. 10 years or so ago. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Next article we have is a Ken Jennings. He just keeps popping up on game shows. He went on Wheel of Fortune. Okay, did you realize our brother served in the same mission with Ken Jennings? No. Did they? Did he know him? He knew him. They were I, they were never companions, but oh. they were in the same mission together. No, I had no idea. Anyway, I can't. I can't believe I never mentioned that. No, I okay. didn't realize. So Ken Jennings and uh, Mayim Ballot. I always mess up her name. You know I know who I'm talking about. The Blossom Girl. Mayim Balik. Yes. <laughs> they both went on Wheel of Fortune, also with Vanna White. Um, it was Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. So so meanwhile, the two of them are battering back and forth and Vanna's in the middle going, I can't get a word in it twice. Poor Vanna didn't do right, <laughs> which you'd think she'd have an upper hand from all of her years. No. But no, the smarty pants. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they both did great. They raised a lot of money. I'm assuming this is for charity. Yes, it was um, for charity. So. Well, what I thought was so funny is my uh-huh. um, my. The Blossom Girl. Mayim. Mayim Balak. <laughs> she kicked his butt in the first round. Yeah. And then he figured out the buzzer situation because that was always his key on Jeopardy is he was fast on the buzzer. So he figured out the buzzer situation. He had to get his groove. And then he and then he kicked her butt in the second round. <laughs> yes. So anyway, he's he said he loved it. It was always a dream. And they had a really good <laughs> – it said that they had – that he and uh, – uh, they, they had a really good chemistry back and forth mm-hmm. between the two of them. And you can see why they get along so well yeah. being co-Jeopardy hosts. Yeah. So. All right. I think mine is next. Uh, you know, I love rodeo. We've talked about rodeo a lot on here. There was a Mother's Day piece in the Deseret News by Trent Troon. And he interviewed this um, professional barrel racer who talks about learning from the strong women in her family. And um, she's 41. She lives in Oklahoma. Um, and, uh, she's a nurse and she has a couple daughters and she actually races professionally. Um, she's com- competed at many high level associations. She's gone to, she's a three-time qualifier for the national finals rodeo. And one of the things that she really talks about in this article is she talks about how strong her mother was and how she really learned from her mother, uh, a really strength of being strong, driven and hardworking and determined and that she's hoping to pass those qualities on to her two daughters, which are 14 and 12 and just how she balances being a nurse, Mm -hmm. being a mom and being a professional barrel race, barrel racer. I feel like we have a lot of rodeo stars that are LDS. There are, I mean, that must just be a Western United States thing. Yeah. No, seriously. There are. I feel in, like every couple months we got a in, rode, we have a rodeo star popping up. In the up. rodeo circuit, we got a lot of members of the church yeah. who are out there doing amazing things. Okay. This next article was a LDS living, right? About um, 
the man who makes the puzzles. Dowdle. Had you heard of Dowdle puzzles? Yeah. Well, I'd heard of Eric Dowdle because Eric mm-hmm. Dowdle actually was born here in Boise. He subsequently moved to Wyoming at some period of time, but he was in my husband's ward growing up. So my husband mm-hmm. knew him before he became the famous artist that he was or right. is. Anyway, anyway, he's, he has he's a an sh- artist. Folk he art. has a show on Mac- Mac- Magnolia yeah, Network. I didn't know he I had a show until I read this article. Yeah. But he has a show called The Peacemaker, where he visits different cities um, in preparation to paint them, and then eventually turn the paintings into yes. puzzles. I do. I was not familiar with his puzzles until COVID. When we did a lot of puzzles. <laughs> and he said he had exceptional growth in COVID of his puzzles for that very reason. <laughs> we borrowed some from friends and then they're all over at the library if you go yeah. to check them out. But they also sell them all the time at Costco. So. Yes. he's he That Costco has been a major contract for him yeah. to sell his puzzles. Anyway, I had no idea he was LDS, but the puzzle man is LDS. So if you want to read more about him. If you like his artwork, he his he is folk art, and it is mm-hmm. it's really it's it's very fun to it's look really at. It's really cool. Lots of details. Lots of details. Yep. Hard puzzles, which again makes his puzzles mm-hmm. even more fun. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, I think we're done with news stories. We are going to move on to the segment known as Mormons behaving badly. Uh oh. Oh, these Mormons. <laughs> we got another murder. Because, well, you know, so of course we had Lori Vallow and then a couple months ago we talked about the dentist in Colorado oh, right. who offed his wife. About him. Now we have a real estate person in Park City who offed her husband. So I don't believe they were actually active because she offed him by putting fentanyl in what's known as a Moscow mule, which is an alcoholic <laughs> drink. But I read his obituary. He grew up LDS. He served a mission. It didn't say, you was know. Was she LDS at one point? I, you know, it didn't say mm. if she was ever LDS or what her status was. But um, obviously they're, yeah, anyway, they're, they're Mormon or Mormon adjacent. They were at one time. They were at one time. And as long as you are Mormon adjacent, that qualifies you for Mormons behaving badly. <laughs> So what had happened is, um, and more information came out today. So what had happened was she had taken out some loans against a house without telling him. She'd stripped money out of their account without telling him. And so she was like really, really deeply in debt because of some financial choices that she made that she hid from him. She ended up taking out $2 million in life insurance against him that he didn't know about. In addition to a policy he already had. He was suspicious that she might be poisoning him based on some prior things that had happened. So he went in and he changed his life insurance policy to his sister and didn't tell his wife. So she only got a fraction of the money on his death that she thought she was going to get. I feel like this is a common thing you hear in like so many Dateline episodes. Um, he told a family member if something happens, have we not heard this in so many of these stories? Red flag, red flag. If you're the family member and someone comes to you, you just need to scoop that person up and be like, sorry, I'm kidnapping you. You're not going home. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, it's so scary. Anyway, so she kills him with this fentanyl and they had two young children and then, uh, and there were some suspicions at first Mm -hmm. and the cops were investigating it. But she goes on to write this book. And so she writes this book that she became really well known with, known for. Children's book. A children's book on grief entitled, Are You With Me? And she was working on a second book called, How Far Away Is Heaven? When she was arrested for his murder. No so, shame. 
no, no shame, shame. whatsoever. So again, I am envisioning Keith Morrison, Dateline, going to come knocking on the door. Oh, yeah. This is a Dateline episode in the making. Yes. Although at least this one doesn't have any kooky church stories associated with it. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe we can, you know, Utah is adjacent enough to East Idaho. Maybe we can send Nate Eaton down there to cover this so I can get my Nate Eaton fix. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, well, let's move on to favorite Should things. Should we do favorite things? Okay, I have two this week. One is a mini one because okay. this only applies to people that live in Boise, which I know okay. is like a small percentage, so I'll go fast. If you live in Boise, there is a new gelati Place, which is like really custard and Italian ice that is from Rexburg that is opening tomorrow and it is delicious. I take it you've had this when you visited Rexburg. I have had this. Actually, they also have one in Logan. I had it last two years ago when we went to Bear Lake and we went through Logan because oh. my Rexburg friends told me you must. Okay. That and good. I have been dreaming of this gelati for two years. Okay. So what is it called and where it's, is it located? It's called Carrie Ann's. Okay. And they're finally opening one up in Boise. It's like a food truck. Okay. For custard and Italian ice. Okay. And it's going to be on um, up on Maple Grove. So is the food truck moving? No, or is it's it, going to be there permanently permanent. all summer. Okay. But they're seasonal. They only do summer. Okay. So if you're okay. in Boise, you must try it. Carrie okay. Ann's. Well, I'm going to have to try that. Okay. Um, but my most favorite thing of the month is a recipe okay. that I've had for a couple years now, but I've never shared it. But I was making it this week and I was like, well, the, we need to share this. The world okay. has to have this recipe. This is a recipe my sister-in-law gave me a couple years ago for Chipotle chicken tacos. These are my favorite tacos in the entire world. I think you gave me this recipe. Did I give it to you? Tell me what's to in it. To make from home. You grill it and you put this marinade on the chicken. Oh, yes. I've done it this. It is so delicious. This is delicious. It's very labor intensive though. It, it is, but it gets easier after you do it once or okay. twice. But yeah, it's labor intensive. I have some hacks to make it easier. Okay. Well, you need to share your hacks. But I just mix the coles because it calls for like a coleslaw and... Also a um, salsa, what do you call the chopped up salsa with tomatoes and the salsa fresca? Uh, Pico de gallo? Pico de gallo. Okay. I just mix those together um, and it just makes it easier. And there's like a crema fresh you put on top with sour cream and mayo and cumin. I just kind of guess. I don't like follow the recipe and lime. You just throw a bunch of things together and it's good. The most important part is the marinade on this chicken. I do admit the marinade is really, really good. And there's a lot of things that go into this marinade. So you do have to pull out like lots of spices. Oh yeah. It's like 10 things in the marinade. mustard, like oil, like all the things. It is so worth it. Every winter I miss it because it's too cold to grill outside. And then when summer hits and I turn on the grill, this is the first thing we make. Mm, It's so good. So it is on Carl's Bad Cravings, which is like a food blog. Okay. Go to Carlsbad Cravings and type in the search Chipotle Chicken Tacos. Okay. You will love them. And I have to say, I, you know what? I've never grilled the chicken. I've done the recipe, but I think I end up just like throwing the chicken in my slow cooker with the marinade oh, and cooking you gotta it that way. Chicken, you got to grill the chicken. Okay. So maybe I'll have to try it by, by grilling the chicken. Mm-hmm. Okay. Definitely. But it is. It's a good recipe. Okay. I brought my favorite thing tonight. We're going to have a taste test. So let me get down here so I can throw it up on the camera. It is the S'more Oreo. Now, I love myself a good Oreo. 
A s'more is one of my favorite things. I, I don't, can't believe they haven't done this flavor yet. I think that I think that they have done it before. I think okay. I have seen it before. Maybe it's just a summer thing. I think it's a summer thing, but I think it's a little different than why than what I've seen before. And I'll explain to you why I think it's different from what I've seen before. Because first of all, I love a graham cracker cookie. I love chocolate. I love marshmallow. The only thing you could add to this to make it more divine would be peanut butter. So anyway, here it is. I'm going to open the cookie up. I'm going to hand you a cookie. Okay. I'm going to take a cookie. So if you look at the cookie, I'm just going to separate out the cookie. Like one side of it is the chocolate, one side of it is the, is the marshmallow and one side of it is the chocolate and it is a graham cookie. Are you looking it up to see if, if no. uh, they've done it before in the past? Anyway, it seemed like when I, when I ate the first one tonight uh -huh. that there was a little bit more marshmallow than there had oh, been in the past. Okay. And, um, Anyway, so the S'mores uh, Oreo cookie for the summer. I like it. I like it too. It's way better than I have tried some funky Oreo flavors in my day because that's Oreo's favorite thing to do, right? Exactly. And I'm a sucker. We're all suckers. Who can resist a new Oreo flavor? This is definitely one of their better ones because some of yep. them taste really processed. And yeah. Well, they have another one that I like that's also a graham cookie and it has peanut butter and chocolate in it. And it is really good. And it's not a flavor, a seasonal flavor. It is one that they carry all the time. Mm. I've almost forgiven them for, they have the golden Oreos, you know, which are the, the oh, yeah. vanilla cookie. I love those ones. I do too. And they used to have it with a chocolate filling and they no longer have it with a chocolate filling. Mm. And I've never forgiven them for taking away the chocolate filling because I don't want my vanilla cookie with a vanilla filling. I want my vanilla cookie with a chocolate filling. <laughs> so... That's a good, that's definitely one of their better yep. variations. So this is my favorite thing for the month is I go like find it. yourself some, some more Oreos and try them. Don't be scared. Even if you've been burned on, or, an, on an Oreo and, before. And it's a lot less messy than actually like going and doing a some more. Yeah. I do love a some okay. more though. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it us up for us tonight, Twim Nation. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any comments, you can reach out at contact at thisweekinmormons.com and we will, we will open our mailbag and sort through our comments and respond to you. Um, you can also find TWIM on all the social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TWIM Sisters. We have our own Instagram account where we, where we post fun stuff. So please reach out to us. And as always, if you want to be a true supporter, please join Patreon. Three bucks a month. Kurt throws in some extra con, 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 content, content <laughs> for the Patreon subscribers and you get the episodes early. All so, right. All right. Thanks, thanks for thanks. listening.